The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of the Data Reaper podcast. I'm your host, Ridiculous Hat, and I'm joined as always by the General of Grievances, Zacho. How you doing, huh? Doing okay. How are you? Uh... I'm good. I'm good. I am very, very pleased because uh, uh, this podcast episode will be a special episode. Perhaps you may call it another um, chapter of Professor Zacco because we are splitting this podcast into two parts. The first part will be a short overview of the format and the second part will be a thought experiment regarding balance philosophy, and the nature of fuels-based changes. Uh, listeners, I can't tell you how excited Zach has been working on this all week. It's been it, just rattling around in his brain. I have been talking to myself like a nut, nut job over the last week, formulating this thought experiment, uh, and I, I think I have landed on a concept that might prove to be eye-opening. And this will be my feedback to Team 5 regarding last week's balance changes. But I think that going forward, uh, it, it, it could be extremely helpful for the community in order to understand what is our goal when we make balance changes and how can we turn something that seems subjective which is feelings, into something that turns into an objective metric that can help you and put yourself in a better position to make good decisions. So this will be the major part of this podcast. But for now, let's talk about the meta a little bit. Well, before we get to that, our next report will be Thursday the 1st. Uh, should be on time. We're not expecting balance changes. If my amateur software production map is any uh, sticks to being accurate, they also announced the balance, whatever the patch next week. It's it doesn't have any constructed um, changes. It's already confirmed. There's nothing. Yeah. Usually, the major patches do not have any kind of balance changes in them. Content and balance are in separate cadences because the balance changes are labor intensive to implement and don't mesh well with the uh, with the software side. So typically it's every other patch. It's in between the major versions. This is consistent here. Uh, there will likely be a patch on Tuesday, September 13th. I would not expect a balanced patch sooner than that. Uh, it's this patch. They might have been able to sneak in an Edwin reversion only, but in you know looking over the meta, I don't think that would have really changed where there are some concerns. Um, it might have been, you know, might have been nice to have one thing, but it would have been probably the only change they could have done, and it wouldn't really have addressed Major Druid. So, you know, what's the point? We'll see. But either way, I would expect balance changes on September the 13th, which means we should have a few reports in a row here uh, without any changes, just to see if anything uh, naturally evolves or adapts. And just a quick note, last week's episode, I think we found ourselves in a pretty similar situation as the game, what we were aiming for and what we ended up delivering wasn't quite the same and wasn't quite what we intended. 
The episode didn't really reflect the shape the meta ended up evolving into uh, pretty quickly after recording, and our perspective wasn't all that well balanced. Simply put, it wasn't the right content to put out, so we appreciate your understanding. We're going to have episode 99 for real this week, and next week on episode 100, we're hoping to have an interview with some Blizzard developers. We're going to confirm that and let you know, but we're very excited for it. Yeah, the good news is the good news is that we ended up uh, uh, we ended up pushing episode 100 to include the team five members who are coming in, which is fantastic because yeah, we wanted to do it in episode 100. Worked out there, and we should talk about if we're talking about the post patch meta. Uh, maybe not quite the boogeyman it looked like last week, but still pretty uh, pretty dangerous, pretty significant in terms of play patterns. We should talk about rogue. Uh, because the Edwin buff definitely put this deck on the map. Well, Lambie series put this deck on the map, but the Edwin buff uh, planted its flag in it. So we have a meta where Rogue is one of the top classes right now, and it does look like it's mostly based on the performance of a single deck. Um, well, I kind of disagree with you on the point where Rogue may not seem like an outlier right now as it did last week. It is very much an outlier. And the only thing that keeps Edwin Rogue's win rate reasonable at high levels of play is just the prevalence of priests. It does have one counter. It is a hard counter, which is the priest class. Two decks, Bless and Quest Priests have 70 plus percent win rate. But that is pretty much the only reliable way of beating it. While Rogue in other matchups just seems to dominate. Yeah, I should clarify. I'm, I'm not making any kind of defense that Rogue should stay the way it is. Just that the play rate and win rate seems to be lower than it was last week when it looked like there was actually no stopping it. Yeah, there kind of is no stopping it other than playing those decks. And those decks, we'll talk about them. They're not particularly well-rounded. And, you know, when you have a situation where a deck, like, it, it feels unbeatable unless you play one thing and that one thing hard counters it then you devolve the format into kind of work, paper, scissors, where you have like this desperate population that just try to counter rogue, but that those those options are very vulnerable and they're open to counters themselves. So you kind of polarize the meta and rogue is largely responsible for that because, and it's a polarizing deck because uh, its play patterns are extreme, right? Um, basically, Edwin, turn five, four, turn five, can can generate an insane amount of stats alongside Sinstone Graveyard, alongside drawing a much a bunch of cards. Um and, and and some decks are just not equipped to deal with like 25 power. Like I have played with this deck um and I have played against this deck. And sometimes you just generate 50 attack power on turn five. I'm not even kidding. It happened against me and it happened while I was playing the deck. Like where you just generate an absolutely massive enormous pile of stats like what does any a board centric deck right can do against that if you don't have mass removal the game is over on the spot um so that extreme uh kind of extreme um play pattern is causing the solutions for it to be very extreme and we'll talk about the priest that each priest deck does it differently but they have a way of attacking that kind of pathway to victory that the rogue possesses. Uh, and on top of that, the rogue also has insane over-the-top damage, right? It has, you know, maybe in a format uh, where rogue doesn't so easily draw its whole deck with a single card, it's not an issue. But uh, Sinister Strikes, which I recommend running on top of Wicked Stabs and Tooth of Nefarian, is a lot of over-the-top damage. And when you add Draka, then this deck can still kill you, even, even if not a single minion 
that it possesses, it even attacks the opponent's face. It can just kill you with Draka and, and over the top burst. Um, and considering the consistency uh, of a Shroud of Concealment and drawing wild panels, and very often you're going to drop wild panels early and that will do some chip damage, then you really don't need to do much in order to kill an opponent's off as long as you manage to draw your whole deck with Edwin. Um, so the deck is very hard to attack. It's very uh, uncomfortable to play against. And it also has very egregious uh, play patterns. Uh, so I would expect it to be reverted, but that's not necessarily going to be, um, you know, is going to help us much uh, or make the meta necessarily better. Uh, because the, the patch also has other problems. Last week's balance patch, rather than the other than the Edwin buff, also created some vacuum, some issues, some destabilization that we may feel the cascading effects for it for a while. Uh, in any case, uh, Rogue, very good. Run Sinister Strikes. Uh, you can run Bomb Rogue. Bomb Rogue is the only counter to Edwin Rogue that's actually playable and isn't Priest. But it's like a 40-60 counter kind of thing. And the deck is not very good. It has issues. It's not as well-rounded as the Edwin Rogue. Edwin Rogue is much more powerful. And also, I think that the the meta is uh, is only going to grow more hostile to a deck like Bomb Rogue because Aggro Druid is, is you know ri rising in popularity, and that means and that is a bad matchup for Bomb Rogue. So I'm not sure how relevant this deck actually is, but I don't think it's capable of doing anything against uh, Edwin Rogue, influencing it in any way. Um. So th this leads me to the second kind of major issue of the patch, which is Druid. Uh, Ram Druid's late game is now kind of unchecked. Um, Shaman could could go toe to toe with it in the late game. Uh, a lot of it has to do also with Snowfall Guardian being a threat for the Shaman uh, against the Druid and uh, kind of punish the Druid for flooding the board with Topier and stuff like that. Uh, often the Shaman just locked out the Druid's board in the late game and with 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 a macaw chain was able to act, to threaten the druid and now that kind of line of play in the late game uh, is gone and uh pretty much the way that druid, shaman can beat druid is just beat down just early pressure like an early no muck pools evolve early 10 drop let's go that's you're kind of forced to have it because in the late game you just can't threaten the druid as a shaman, you have one play that can disrupt them with it, which is like either you Theo their Denathrius or their other major component like Bran, uh, or you chain Mutinous like Bolner Macaw after a Mutinous start eating all of their stuff. This is kind of how you can win against a Druid, but obviously that's going to make... You just took away a pathway to victory in that matchup. That means that matchup is going to get worse, and it is getting worse. So Ramp Druid, if you look at its matchup spread... It's actually quite insane. Like, the only things that beat Druid are things that can kill it before it gets to the late game. Um, Edwin Rogue is a is a resource-focused deck. It is a classic resource-focused deck where it um, kind of fights for the board early with wild panels in order to survive versus aggression if it if if uh, if it's available, but eventually reaches a power spike turn with Edwin with Sinstal Graveyard where it just, you know, that that's the power spike. That's how it wins with a blowout. 
and but its game length is incredibly short. It's like average game length of Edwin Rogue is like six point five, so it reaches its power spike very very quickly because it draws Edwin very consistently, and Edwin can go off very early. You know, it's a resource deck when you have zero mana nulls in hand and you pass the turn. Which is, by the way, I think a big mistake. I think people are doing it. And I think it's it's just foolish. I, I don't understand why people do that. If you have a, a zero mana null and you're playing against a deck that can't remove those nulls, then those nulls on the board are going to do more damage than the plus one, plus one you're giving the Sinstone Graveyard at some point later in the game. I don't understand it. I don't understand why people hold nulls, stop holding nulls. I think I saw Fino in a stream constantly telling people to stop holding nulls. He's absolutely right. You you need to listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, stop holding nulls just to get your Sinsto Graveyard Ghost a little bit bigger. The nulls, if you cannot deal with the nulls, they deal more damage. They have three attack. If they stick on the board twice, that's six damage. Is that ghost going to deal six damage more because you held on the nulls? No, you did not. It is not. Uh, but in any case... It's a resource-focused deck because it, it, it has a, a major power spike and doesn't necessarily look to pressure you in the early game. It just has nose to take over the board. But in any case, it, it, it power spike is so early that the Druid often has no ability to deal with it in time, right? So it just dies to all the pressure and the stats that the Rogue can dish out. But other than that, pretty much the only way to beat Ram Druid is by unrelenting aggression. Impor lock and aggro druid. That's it. If you let the druid go into the late game, you're not like you can. I wrote this in the report. You can only hope to be slightly unfavorable. Mage doesn't beat druid. Even if mage goes 30 cards, it doesn't beat druid. Like there are a lot of people running 30 card Renathol mage and non Renathol mage in order to improve the druid matchup. It does improve the matchup, but you're still slightly unfavorable against it, which is pretty nutty, right? Um, even if you draw your Magister more consistently and you run things like Frozen Touch and, and you, you're more aggressive in general, you're still not fast enough to beat the Druid consistently. So Ram Druid has a very high warping effect and it also beats the things that counter Rogue, which is uh, like uh, Quest Priest. It just destroys Quest Priest. Um, and it also destroys Mage if it gears itself with Renathal to do well against Rogue. So in that sense, since Ramp Druid is also so powerful, and in the event of a Rogue nerf, if they just revert a nerf, I'm pretty sure this deck completely takes over and forces the entire meta to like go super hyper aggressive with like aggro druid and, and impor lock, and then you're gonna see the mage countering it. It's not gonna stop like just nerfing rogue and the polarization element with priest is not going to stop the RPS um, um tendency of this format because you have another deck that's so good in the late game, you have to be aggressive against it. Uh so that is Ram Druid. Uh, in terms of builds, uh, it's it's very flexible. And, you know, Aggro Druid kind of started to pop up and suddenly Ram Druid, all the defensive cards kind of gone up during refinement this week. I refined a build that was not featured in this report. And because the rise of Aggro Druid was so dramatic, suddenly a lot of the cards that I didn't value much before, I value a lot more now, so things like Spammy Arcanus suddenly shot up in their power because of the rise of Agadrid. So play defensively, don't worry about the late game, 
because your late game is good, you don't need to to make it even better. That's only relevant in like the mirror matchup. But if you're playing against aggression and a lot of aggro druids and you want to add percentage points, uh, play defensively and you should be fine. Even against mage and stuff, it doesn't. You're still gonna be heavily favored. Uh, aggro druid, really good deck, very cheap. It is the best counter to ramp druid. The major upside of uh, aggro druid is that it it beats ramp druid. And it also doesn't completely roll over to Rogue. I think that Rogue at higher levels of play is slightly favorable. Um, has a slightly favorable matchup against Aggro Druid. But still, it, the matchup is not as bad as like Imp Warlock. Uh, and you can definitely still flood the board quickly enough for the Rogue to not get to its power spike on time. Uh, but still, Walpa knows are tough, obviously. Uh, but, but this deck is very good. Uh, at what it does, um, which is punishing Ram Druid. And doing it, it, it doesn't do well against Mage and Priest, obviously, but these are not completely horrible matchup. You're looking at 60-40. I believe that in open decklist, it's probably worse than that. A lot of the advantages of Aggro Druid on ladder is that uh, people don't know what to mulligan for. Yeah, you have to mulligan for three Druids, right? Ramp, Aggro, and Rogue. Yeah, <laughs> like you, you don't know what you're facing. So, uh, and the mulligan decisions can be very, very different from aggro druid to ramp druid. So, if you mulligan for ramp, even if you're a favorite, like let's say uh, I am quest priest, I'm playing quest priest, and I am mulliganing for ramp druid or something, and uh, suddenly I get caught by a turn one peasant going first, and I don't have a way to remove it, and they just snowball on me, and they can get the job done. I believe that if you have open deck list, mage versus aggro druid matchup, like pros can test it. I'm pretty sure it's better than 60-40 for the mage. It's just that in the um, in the climate of ladder, where ramp druid is a major mulligan consideration, it's not going to be that case. Uh, so... Agrodo definitely takes advantage of that, um, but that also makes it good on ladder, right? It just it just delivers uh, high win rates across the board at all levels of play. It is the best performer in the format. Um, the build is very good. I would expect to see some variation in the card choices, but all the cards in the deck right now seem very solid. We'll see if there are improvements on, down the road. Um, okay, Mage, Spooky Mage, really wants to play Renathal in the current format Uh I talked about rogues over the top damage. You can freeze their stuff. Sure. You can have all of their ghosts not able to, or Edwin or anything, hit you in the face even once. Rogue can 30 to 0 you with just Draka and over the top burst. That's it. They don't need much. So the 40 life matters a lot. Alongside the armor gain that you can get, that helps you stay out of the burst range and um the freeze you know when you run 40 you have more space to run things like blizzard parrot and just continuously freeze the rogue board and you run solid alibi obviously and if you do all of those things you go 55 45 against the rogue Think about how absurd that is. If you do all, you run Renathal, run all the freezes, run Solid Alibi, uh, <laughs> and and all the stalling possible, and make your deck as good defensively as possible, you go 55-45 against the Rogue. And your matchup against Ramdruid completely tanks. 
So that's what you need to do in order to even remotely stop Rogue. So that tells you how scary that deck is. Uh, but yeah, but the other thing is Rise of Agrodruid also incentivizes running 40 because uh, Agrodruid doesn't have much burst. Um, it doesn't have much burst from hand. It's entirely board-centric. Um, Living Roots is pretty much the only spell that goes face in that deck. So if if you're at 40, you can you can stall more time, you can take more punishment from their early development until you bridge into Blizzard, Parrot, uh, freezing their stuff. Uh, eventually, you do some Apprentice play, some Deathborn. That just ends the game, right? Deathborn usually ends the game if it lands skeletons. Um, and, and that's kind of what you do. Um, you play very defensively. Big Spell Mage... Um, is has a better win rate because it's better against Ramtorid. But its matchup against Rogue is worse compared to Renathal Spooky Mage. And it also has a lower skill ceiling. I do notice that. Higher levels of play, uh, matchups against the top decks get worse. Uh, so the deck might, might have an issue with that. Also, this deck was refined early. Uh, it was pretty hard, easy to land. Perfect 29. With it, with the odd tech choice in or out, uh, and uh, while other decks are catching up in refinement, you see Druid starting to figure out what it wants to do. Spooky Mage figuring out what it wants to do. Well, Big Spell Mage already knew what it wanted to do like three days, and that, that makes a big difference. I will say that I very much hope that Spooky Mage gets a look at play pattern changes, because if Snowfall Guardian died for this, then Snowfall Guardian did nothing wrong, uh, you will get your board frozen or get your or get alibied so many turns in a row. It is very frustrating to face. Yeah, mages of freeze potential is actually much bigger than shamans was. <laughs> like mage can freeze your board like twelve times during a game with Sivira and parrots and Dongrass hero and Dongrass minion. There's so much. Renathal doesn't even need to run Sivira. We, we cut that card from the deck. You don't even need that. You still can freeze your board 12 times. Think about it. you have You have four blizzards, potentially. You have Varden that can cast a blizzard. You have um, uh, Flurries. You have Varden, uh, small Varden. The There's minion. like, you have Rune of the Archmage, which often is going to freeze the board because it casts random spells, which, which freeze the board. Uh, very often you get a cone of cold, a random cone of cold from it or a blizzard from it, and again, freeze the board. Yeah, there's tons, tons of stalling in that deck. It's very strong defensively, what can I say? Every time Flurry has been good, people have complained about Mage. Every time. I mean, yeah. Um, uh, freeze, when it's abundant, when it's an abundant mechanic, it can be very frustrating to play against, especially when it was utilized by two classes that were pretty popular, right? So it felt like you were always facing some some deck that could freeze your board over and over. Uh, so even though, yeah, basically. Okay, Priest. Priest, uh, it happened had Quest Priest Tier 1, a top legend. Never thought I'd see the day. I never thought <laughs> yeah. I'd see the day. And it, we are not completing the quest to win. Like, that is not what matters here. What matters is playing cards that kill rogues. 
Yeah, but playing cards that completely disrupt Rogue wants to do. So, Quest Priest, this is not a skill thing. Quest Priest skill ceiling is not particularly high. I would say it's even slightly below average. But the thing is, the field in Top Legend, lots and lots of rogues. Quest Priest absolutely destroys rogues. Quest Priest also is very good against Aggro Droid. Those are pretty much the only matchup it, it wins. Uh, Druid, no. <laughs> Mage, no. It's just... Very bad matchups into those. Kind of reinforces them. Kind of helps them stay on top in in a way. Um, and you get this rock, paper, scissor game. Especially top legend with rogue and then priest. And then the mage and druid prey on the priest. The druid preys on both the mage and the priest. And you get this uh, this situation. But uh, quest priest, the reason why it beats rogue is blind removal. Can kill ghost with shadow Ward ruin. Right? Um, light bomb, those are huge against rogue, obviously. And it's got a ton of healing. Like it's got gift uh, of the narrow. It's got desperate prayer. It's got light shower and elemental, which can be huge in that matchup, especially when you're blocking a draca dagger. It's a lot of healing. So it's got the removal necessary to deal with rogues giant threats early at good mana costs, and it's got insane healing. To negate their over-the-top burst damage, so Quest Priest is perfectly uh, built to to beat this deck. Um, regarding card changes, Devouring Plague maybe now with more Aggro Druid, I recommend it as an additional style spell if you want to deal better with Aggro Druid, as well as Identity Theft better in the late game. Um, you want to activate Nether Drake more often. The common build, I think there's a common build that just runs four shadow spells. Uh, you notice that. Nether Drake does not perform well enough with four shadow spells. So you want six, and I think six helps a lot. It's plus 50%. More likelihood of having a shadow spell in hand. That should help Nether Drake. Bless Priest beats Rogue. Different concept. Instead of dealing with what Rogue does, Bless Priest does what Rogue does, but does it earlier and does it even more profoundly like it just cheats out an enormous amount of stats with boon of the ascended and power word fortitude and it basically scams the rogue before it can get scammed and that's how it wins that matchup uh very dominant matchup another 70 30 kind of ordeal but again bless priest very erratic deck very inconsistent in terms of matchup spread for example against quest priest you just get completely destroyed because you just lose the shard you lose the mass removal the thing because it does the same thing that rogue does right so if quest priest counters edwin rogue it will counter this deck because it utilizes exactly the same tools to beat this deck with um but the ram druid matchup for example is a lot better because sometimes you can go off and have so much stats to the point where the Ramp Druid just can't do anything. However, Ramp Druid does, does run Starfish. And that could be a problem. And Ramp Druid sometimes just ramps before uh, the Priest can do anything on uh, scale of Onyxia their board. And since you don't have over-the-top damage, it's hard to finish off the Druid after your threats are, are gone, right? Yep. Okay, so Naga Priest... Sees very little play. It's pretty good, but it loses to Rogue. Right? It's more geared to beat Druid. If you want to beat Druid, play Agro Druid. Why would you play this deck? And since people don't like this deck very much, except you had, you like this deck. I know that. But other people don't are not attracted by it. And it just underplayed. It doesn't see much play. 
It's a damn shame. It's, I tried playing Bless Priest instead, and it didn't do any of the things I wanted to do. I want to play one drops. Yeah, I know that. I know. Warlock. Warlock wants to find an identity that puts it on a niche that's slightly different from Aggro Druid. It is not as good as Aggro Druid is at countering Ram Druid. It also falls off hard against Rogue, which is why at high levels of play, it's kind of untittering, tittering on a positive win rate. It was actually under tier, it was tier three for most of this week, but it kind of got up because Rogue declined a little bit, kind of relaxed. The numbers relaxed. People were probably frustrating because of the quest priest uh, surgeons there. And there were more druids as a result, right? So Warlock is very reliant on the population of druids and rogues in order to be good or not good. On a climb legend, outside of top legend, there are far, there are more druids, there are less rogues, so Warlock does better uh, there. But anyway, it still wants to find an identity other than beating Ram Druid because Druid just does it better. So the Sea Giant build dropped off after the patch significantly. Maybe that deck was that list was more reliant on Vile Library and Snowballing early because now the way that you want to play Imp Warlock is to have some sort of lean towards late game. The Nathrius combo ramp up some sort of burst uh, in the end game and you have the draw to support that, or you play a curse package, which gives you some sort of inevitability. Uh, which is, makes the deck kind of more dynamic, more flexible. Like it, it's kind of an aggro deck, right? It plays for the board early and wants to pressure, but it also can lean towards late game and and kind of threaten inevitability. Like you kind of have to kill the warlock before the curses go out of control. And uh, this build with the curses is much better against mage as a result because mage beats warlock by stalling, removing, and stuff. But if you have a, the curse threat plan, then they can just die to the curses. They have they're very slow to pressure you. They're very slow to kill you. So if you're on the front foot and they constantly have to fend off your threats, and you have time to just scale your curses up. Same thing for quest priest. Matchup becomes a lot better for the warlock. However, you're running curse card, you're resting things like Abyssal Wave. That's useless against Ramdruid. That's useless against Rogue. So your rogue matchup is even worse. And your ramp druid, you don't even counter it that hard with this build. So you got to pick your poison. Uh, but the deck does is kind of more less polarizing, let's say, because you don't feel bad queuing into mage priest. And druid is still a, a very a decent matchup for you. So you kind of maybe it feels better. That's kind of my my theory and why, why it plays well. And last week, it would util, utilize... Um, in um, lineups uh, for uh, was a GM was it playoffs? Uh, I think that and the co- the reason why it was introduced there is because it's better in the priest and mage matchups. I mean, it's off board damage, right? So when you want to do off board damage, this is how you do it. Yeah. So shaman, shaman got nerfed. Obviously, snowfall guardian, much weaker deck now. I don't even know if you can you, you can justify running Snowfall Guardian, though alternative don't seem great. Like it's not like you cut Snowfall Guardian and suddenly the deck becomes better. The problem with Shaman is that it was a 50-50 deck against a lot of things, and now those 50-50s are turning into 45-55. So now it starts to lose everything, loses to Druid, loses to Mage, doesn't beat Rogue. You look at its matchups where it doesn't actually beat anything relevant, and we explain in the report. I explain it. 
Why does it have a positive win rate? Lots of people say, oh, it has a positive win rate on HS Replay. It's fine. It has a positive winner because it beats Demon Hunter Paladin and Warrior. <laughs> mm. But when I looked at the data last week and I said, Shaman is probably gone. And people will say, oh, Zacho overreacted. Well, the reason I said that is because when I evaluate a deck, I make the assumption that the bad decks are going to disappear. So I simulate a situation where the bad decks are gone. And how does Control Shaman match up with the best decks? Not so good. So at best, it's going to be tier three in the event of all these bad decks disappearing. Because if it constantly runs into Mage, Rogue, Druid, Priest, even Warlock, by the way, Imp Warlock, I don't think it's going to beat it anymore. So in that situation, what does it do? It does nothing. And the amazing thing is, this deck didn't even beat Agrodruid before the Snowfall Guardian nerf. So what is it going to do now? <laughs> so yeah, it just doesn't beat anything relevant. So why would you ever play Control Shaman? There's absolutely no reason. Pretty much the only reason, I think, that Control Shaman even sees play this weekend in uh, Grandmasters is because you have to bring five decks. So you kind of have to bring a deck that kind of is a bit sucky, a bit on the sus side, right? So you bring Shaman, which is like, uh, the matchups are close enough, like 45, 55 against like Mage Druid, something like that. So this is winnable. It's okay. It's better than bringing a worse deck, right? You don't have a lot of options. They're going to bring it. I mean, people brought Demon Hunter. <laughs> they brought Demon Hunter. Got to bring something. Yeah, you got to bring something. So, Hunter. Hunter is a similar spot. You look at its win rate. Oh, Face Hunter, Beast Hunter, they're doing well. The reason they're doing well, beating bad decks. Look at its matchups. What do they actually beat from decks that are good? Absolute, basically nothing. They beat nothing now, which is why they're not relevant. You don't see them at Top Legend because they don't beat anything. Because a person asks himself, I want to beat something. Do I ever think about Beast Hunter or Face Hunter? I never do. It never comes up because it beats nothing. Now, Quest Hunter is the deck that's most likely to survive out of the Hunter decks because it actually has a successful niche. You look at its uh, performance at the Climb of Legend, they're very, very good, and they're expected to stay good because it's very good against Mage. People love playing Spooky Mage and Quest Hunter. Unlike Face Hunter, by the way, Face Hunter does not beat Renathal Spooky Mage, but Quest Hunter does. And Quest Hunter can prey on Mage, on Priest, and do good work there. However, Quest Hunter gets destroyed by Ramp Druid. So what makes Quest Hunter better than Ramp Druid if there's a lot of aggression? It doesn't beat Aggro Druid. It doesn't beat Imp Warlock. But these are close matchups compared to Ramp Druid getting destroyed. So you queue up Quest Hunter when you want to beat Mage, but you don't want to fall to aggression. You don't want to get countered by aggression. And if you're lucky enough not to run into a lot of Druids, you're going to have a good time as a Quest Hunter. But... You look at Top Legend, Hylive is a play, more Rogues, more Druids, more Ramp Druids, no shot. Deck looks very, very bad at that level. Okay, and then we have the last three classes. Paladin Warrior. Yeah, Demon Hunter, enough Copium. This is not good. This 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 class is not good. Death Rattle, the H, sometimes feels like a Hearthstone deck. Uh and I guess it's okay at lower ranks where the meta is far more forgiving 
and people play less of the most efficient and the best decks so it can have some joy there a little bit like tier three like it's not even good there but it i can see why people say oh i took this deck and i had a pretty good win rate i climbed for platinum yeah it can happen it can happen because the winner is not that bad there but a top legend at legend at, on the climb right now diamond one to four you don't want to cue this deck at all no 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 and every other demon hunter deck utter trash i believe aggro demon hunter they they're two people who brought it this weekend and i really hope that whatever refining they made shoots this deck up by like 10 percent in its win rate because aggro dh right now has like a win rate that's like a 35 it is unplayable it looks unplayable so yeah and all the other stuff just doesn't work now warrior and rage warrior it got closer hat with refinement i believe this could be a top top deck in tier four a top tier four deck it's it's fun when you draw anim extractor i like there there's a couple builds that i've seen circulating and i'm doing okay with them when i work really hard and get the right draws in the opener and face the good matchups yeah, it, it can be. It's functional. The Funky Monkey build is functional. It looks clean. Uh, it looks like it can be a Hearthstone deck. It's just underpowered. It's just missing something, which is mostly draw because, yeah. It, the problem is you make a board. If it gets cleared, you're kind of done. Unless you snowball an Acolyte of Pain. Sometimes that happens. Paladin, <laughs> nothing. I don't know. This this class got buffed, yet it's worse. You know why it's worse, Hat? Because everybody got led into the Silverhand recruit uh, path. And that path led nowhere. <laughs> and it's just so bad. Like, Pure Paladin is the best deck. The best Paladin deck. It has like a 40% win rate. Yeah, it's not good. Um, there was also uh, a... Kibler popularized a Quest Paladin build on his stream... And it is bringing down the class's win rate in a major way. It's fun, but it's not good. Yeah, Quest Paladin is... Win rate is in the 30s. Low 30s, I think. And it's so, still one of the more popular archetypes in, in the class. So I imagine the class win rate is being brought down by that. But the class doesn't need any help having its win rate brought down. It does that just fine on its own. Or its play rate brought down. <laughs> There's just no interest here, really. No, I, I think over the past 24 hours at top legend, Paladin's player does 0.2%. At Diamond 4 to 1, its play rate is like less than 1% or something like that. It, it's dropping like a stone. Uh, it's uh, it, it, there's, there's no way. Uh, this, this class needs much more help. Uh, I don't even know how to help it. It's just, I think it just... The the other issue I have with Paladin is just it's just so boring. Um, but that's that's subjective. But I, I hear that from a lot of people. I mean, it's historically underplayed in High Legend, but Paladin, when I look at it, it doesn't really have good ones and twos. Like it has very little relevant early game development, and it has very little way to end a game. So when you don't have anything that can start a game, you don't have anything that can end a game. What do you do? Yeah, you're kind of not good at Hearthstone. They they can have like they're pretty good from turn three to six, and Carriel's pretty good. 
yeah, that's about it. Uh, but yeah, Paladin's not it. So this is the current format. Um, report's not looking very positive because things are not too positive and the report is probably going to make things worse because when the meta is bad, then information causes things to get worse, right? But you still want to have the information out there. Uh, I think it's a positive thing for the game uh, because when the meta is good, then information actually helps. And if the meta is kind of uh, middling, then a discovery that you can get with more information can help, you know, move things along, make things more dynamic. But in a situation like this, uh, then it's not great, obviously. Okay, so this uh, we talked about the report, we talked about the format, and now I want to get into part two. And I'm really excited about it, and I hope I can get everything down and clear. And I invite you listeners to dig into my thought experiment about feels-based changes. And, you know, this has been a hot topic because of the latest balance patch and the balancing philosophy. And, you know, a lot of content creators are weighing in about this. And I think I formulated a concept that is really helpful in order to understand how to make better decisions. So let's think about this, Hat. Let's let's go in to this thought experiment. And the first thing I want to say, I want to make very objective statements. And the first objective statement I'm going to make is that decks, every deck in the game, has something that people may dislike, that some people may dislike. Every deck in the game has certain mechanics, certain synergies, certain game plans, and certain play styles that can cause grievances amongst a certain section of players. I think that's reasonable to say. It's also reasonable to say that every deck has some level of annoyance attached to it. Because if it's a meta deck and tries to win, it's going to annoy some players. And if you if you put if you take a hundred of people, you take a hundred people, and you make them play against a specific deck, there will be an X number of people who will grow a distaste to this deck and generate grievance from the experience of playing against it. I don't need to tell you what the number is. You just need to recognize that this number exists. Maybe. Decks can annoy different kinds of people, but decks can also have different levels of annoyances. Like some deck, you make 100 people play against it, and 30 people will report that it feels bad to play against and they don't like it. And another deck may have 40 people out of 100 that tell you that it feels bad to play against and it's annoying. I think that's a reasonable statement to make. I think people will agree with me that it does exist. Now... Let's call it this, this metric, the grievance rate. What is the grievance rate? The grievance rate is how many people out of 100 who experience playing against this deck will grow distaste to it, will dislike it, and eventually call for it to be nerfed or some other, or just complain about it or just grow very frustrated by it. Every deck has a grievance rate. And... The goal of the design team, when they design cards and they design strategies, is to lower this grievance rate as much as possible, to make decks that are fun, compelling, and not 
too frustrating to play against. That's their design goal when they make cards. For the most part. It, yeah. They're, they want to make decks that are fun. And if they can help it, they want to make decks that are not too annoying to play against, that aren't frustrating to play against. This is their goal. So essentially, their goal in design, one of their clear goals, is to make decks with low grievance rates. I will say Ixar in particular has specifically mentioned they want to make Ticketuses and Elusias every so often because griefers really like inflicting grievance. They need to have something for them to do, and they tend to often be, uh, those cards tend to be overrepresented relative to their win rate because people love taking things away from their opponent and being evil and cackling like a villain. But it's not every time, and usually if those cards are the most popular or most competitive in a format, they get destroyed. Because they don't want them to yeah. be competitive. They just want them to, you know, they want to cater to the griefers to a small extent. Because those people will play those cards even if they're not good. But if they end up being good, they often get pulled back. Yeah. So they can even design decks that they know have a high grievance rate, but they will make it intentionally weak. Like Steel Priest or something. Like Harvester of Envy. Yeah. They will make decks. They want the decks that are popular and strong to be ones with a low grievance rates. Now, this is a number. The grievance rate is some sort of number. I don't need to tell you what it is. You don't need to know what it is. All I want you to think about in this thought experiment is that you know that this number exists. It is a number that exists. And we'll talk about later whether it's fixed number, whether it changes. Let's, let, we'll go over that a little bit later, just a little bit later. But it exists. The moment that Team 5 released cards into the expansion, right? The release is set. They no longer have control of the grievance rate of the deck because they finished designing it. Whatever mechanics it employs, whatever synergies it has, it's going out of 100 people, there will be an X number of people who generate grievance against it. So at that point, they have no control over the grievance rate. But does the grievance rate solely determine the amount of grievances that a deck generates? No, it does not. We just touched on it. They don't want decks with high grievance rate to be very popular because a big factor in the amount, the volume of grievances is the play rate of a deck because the number, the, the volume of grievances that a deck generates is a formula where you take the grievance rate and multiply it by the play rate, right? The grievance rate alone does not determine how much grievances this deck inflicts on the format. You have to take the play, the play rate and multiply by the grievance rate. So let's assume we have a deck with a 5% play rate. And let's say at this 5% play rate, it generates 30% grievances. Then the grievance value, which is a relative value, it doesn't need to be an absolute number or whatever, is 1.5. Okay? That's the, the grievance value of this deck. And if it's 10% play rate, let's say its grievance rate is, its grievance volume is three. Now I'll ask you a question. You have a deck that's very, very annoying. Let's say that deck slipped through design or they intentionally made it annoying. It has an 80% grievance rate, but the deck is weak and only has like a 3% play rate. 
the grievance value will be 2.4. And let's say there's a deck that exists in the format that is half as annoying. Half as annoying. But this deck is powerful and popular and sees 20% play. The amount of grievances that it generates is more than three times. It's, it's eight compared to 2.4. More than three times the number of grievances that this weak and annoying little deck causes. So play rate, since it scales much more than the grievance rate, you know, there's a limit to grievances. There's a cap on grievances. You can have 100% grievances. But it's enough for another deck to be half as annoying and has double the play rate to generate enough, enough grievances. And we all know that in this format, there are decks with far more, uh, let's say, variance in the play rates compared to the grievance rate. So decks that are very popular, even if they're half as annoying, even if they're less annoying, they still generate more grievances. A deck with a 20% play rate that's half as annoying is going to generate far more grievances than a small, uh, uh, a modestly popular, uh, low play rate deck that's very annoying. So you start to understand that feels is largely determined by, by play rate. But there is more. We assumed that the grievance rate is a fixed number. But I'm going to make another statement that I believe that everyone will agree with me on. Is that grievance rate is not a fixed number. It is also a number that is determined, is dynamic and determined by the play rate itself. The more popular a deck is, the more common the experience to play against this specific deck is, the more likely that the average person will develop grievances against this deck will be annoyed by this deck, frustrated by this deck, grow tired of this deck. A deck with a 5% play rate has an X% percent grievance rate. If you take that deck and you multiply its play rate by 4 into a 20% play rate deck, its grievance rate will be, I don't know what, there's no exact formula, but it, was be, it will be greater than X. It will be higher than X. Because every strategy... Every playstyle, every mechanic, every card. If you see too much of it, if you see a lot of it, if you are constantly exposed to it, if you constantly lose to it repeatedly, if you constantly cue into it, you are more likely to grow distaste to it. You're more likely to grow tired of it. And I think that everyone who listens to this podcast will agree because it makes sense. The more popular a thing is, the more annoying it can be. Well, things that aren't too popular, but maybe they're annoying. Maybe you got annoyed by a deck, but you don't see it the next 20 games. You're more likely to, to keep playing and enjoy the game. Yeah, it slightly soured your experience. One game. But if you constantly queue into this thing that you start to grow tired of, you're more likely to grow. You're more likely to develop grievances against this deck. So a grievance rate is not a fixed number. If we have, we go back to the first example. A deck that maybe in a vacuum is half as annoying at 3% play rate, 40% grievance rate versus that very annoying deck that I just talked about, 80% grievances. Maybe that's a poison rogue or something like that. You take that 40% grievance rate deck 
and you increase its player to 20%, its grievance rate would be higher than 40%, which means that the amount of grievances that it generates compared to the deck with the low play rate and the high grievance rate of 80% will be higher than the three times more that we just calculated before. So decks with a high play rate generate much more grievances than decks with low play rate, even if those low play rate decks are quite annoying, can be quite annoying in a vacuum, in a poll of 100 people, right? So what do we determine? We have determined the, the play rate is far more important when it comes to determining the volume of grievances that a deck inflicts on the format. Because not only is it crucial in the formula and it's just as important as the grievance rate, it also impacts the grievance rate itself, which means that we now understand, come to understand, that even though I made up some bullshit metric called grievance rate, and that metric is very abstract, all I wanted you guys to do is understand that this number is, exists, that this number, you recognize that it exists, and now I just told you that it doesn't matter that much. Because what actually matters, because this entire thought experience so far has been meant to tell you that it exists, but it do, it's not that impactful, whether the grievance rate is 60% or 30% or 40%, because it's largely determined by play rate, and the volume of grievances is highly influenced by play rate as well. So let's think about, okay, so what do we do with this conclusion? What are we trying to achieve when we make balance changes, let's, let's go into another thought experiment. Let's pretend we have a pool of decks. They are all different from each other. They have different mechanics. They have different play styles. And all of them are equally annoying. They all have, in the event of a similar play rate, they all generate the same percentage of grievance. They have the same grievance rate. They may annoy different people. They may annoy people of different tastes because of their different taste, play style. Some people dislike freeze. Some people dislike discover. They have all sorts of mechanics. And let's take from that pool of equally annoying decks with different play styles. We take four of them and we put them in a format. And these decks, each of them has a 25% play rate. You have a format with four decks they, I just told you, they are all equally annoying in a vacuum. And the question is, how much grievance, what is the volume of grievances that this format generates? And the answer is pretty high. Because even though these decks are all equally annoying, we're looking at players who constantly queue into the same four decks. When you constantly queue into the same four decks, you are far more exposed to their mechanics and synergies, and you are far more likely to grow tired of them. We just established this just before, that the higher the play rate a deck has, the more likely it is that, a, that a, the, an average player will generate grievances towards that deck. It will grow more annoying because of its high popularity. So a format that is narrow with four decks will generate some, some amount of grievances that we know is probably going to be fairly high. Now let's look at another scenario. And the second scenario is a scenario which we take from the same pool of those equally annoying different decks. We take 10 of them 
and we put them in the format. And now all of these 10 decks have the same play rate at 10%. What will be the volume of grievances that this format generates? I don't need to tell you the exact number, but what I can tell you for sure is that it will be much lower than the volume of grievances in scenario one because you have more decks that are different from each other, you run into them less often, a player is less likely to grow tired of one deck, and even if that player grows tired of one deck, since that player runs into this deck less often, frustration from running into that deck is less likely to reach some critical mass. So format two will have less grievances, even though we took decks that are potentially equally annoying from the same pool of decks that we theoretically had, that we just hypothesized. We took from the same pool decks, we put them in one format that's not diverse, we put them into another format that's more diverse. And the result, less grievances. So what is our actual goal when we're making balance changes? Suddenly it becomes clear. Our goal is not to listen to specific complaints about decks. Our goal is to diversify the meta. We want a diverse meta with a lot of different stuff that you run into, with different mechanics that you are exposed to, because whether they're slightly more annoying or not, whether they have some theoretical grievance rate of 40% or 30% or 50% does not matter as much as how diverse the meta is and how often you run into them, into a specific strategy. So now we suddenly have the clarification. Our goal is to diversify the format and not necessarily listen to specific complaints. Now think about how revolutionary that is. People will laugh. Oh, you want a diverse format. That is so obvious. Of course we want a diverse meta. I thought a diverse meta is always good. No, I just I just told you this. I just proved it to you in a very logical thought experiment. And also, you have to think about this entire community. What is it obsessed about? This entire community is obsessed. And it's, it's common in other games too. I'm not talking specifically about the Hearthstone community. But communities obsess over, what are they arguing about? They're arguing over the grievance rate. You have content creators making this video or that video or or this tweet or that tweet telling you, oh, this deck feels really bad to play. I wish they would nerf it. Or this deck is more annoying. And you have people on social media arguing over whether this deck feels bad to play or not feels bad to play when we know it's a subjective thing that changes from person to person. And everyone is obsessed with the grievance rate of decks with how annoying they are, or whether they're too annoying, or they're not actually annoying, whether they're healthy or unhealthy, whether they have toxic play patterns or not. We're all all obsessed over grievance rate. I just told you, I just explained to you very clearly why it doesn't matter that much. It doesn't matter if the number is 50% or 40% grievance rate. It doesn't matter. What matters is the play rate. The play rate is the large determinator of whether a meta will have a large volume of grievances or not. So now let's look back into an expansion launch and think clearly, what is our goal when we make balance changes? You launch an expansion. You have, at best, one week's worth of data 
decks. Some of them are more refined than others. Some of them are more ahead in their development than others. You evaluate the format and you need to decide on the first set of balance changes that you determine. You, you determine a patch window two weeks after the expansion for a reason. And I feel that Team 5, they knew that reason well and they somehow, this expansion forgot what that reason was. What do you nerf in the first set of balance changes? And what I say that you nerf, you nerf two things, two concepts, the unbeatable and the unbearable. What did that mean? Unbeatable, huge power outlier, a deck that is oppressively powerful, a deck that's just beating the large majority of the field and keeping it down, a deck that is extremely difficult to counter. We're talking about Galakron Shaman and Descent of Dragons, uh, Ashes of Outland DH, uh, Secret Paladin and Barons, all those decks that had huge raw power and were extremely difficult to beat and had win rates that defined, uh, that looked like clear outliers. And you nerf those clear, massive power outliers because you know if a deck is extremely powerful, it's going to likely significantly grow in its play rate. And since it's so powerful, it's going to win a lot of games. It's going to cause frustration. It's going to generate a large volume of grievances. So when it comes to massive power outliers, you nerf that. That's the first category of decks you nerf in the first set of balance changes. What is the second category? The unbearable. Decks that are so toxic with play patterns, that are so egregious, that pretty much there's a consensus that they should be removed. Things that don't let you play the game. OTKs on turn five. Uh... Insane blowout turns that don't let you play Hearthstone. Things like Drek'thar. Things like Deca Lunacy. Things like the original Kel'thas. Where like it's turn five and it's like a massive pile of stats and good luck. And you play like two cards and you have absolutely no agency over the outcome. I think it's fair that these decks, even though it's hard to accurately find their grievance rate you can accurate you can pretty confidently say these decks are grievance outliers and those are the decks the second category of decks that you nerf in the first balance patch now what happens when you don't identify a power outlier major power outlier, and you don't identify a major play pattern outlier. What do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You pat yourself on the back and congratulate yourself on a job well done. But but let's not be too hasty. Let's say there's a deck. Let's say there is a deck that's not a major power outlier. It's also not a huge play pattern outlier. It doesn't do stupid things like deck of lunacy and such. But it is frustrating. People have voiced their frustrations over this deck. And they've said that this deck feels bad to play against. And you need to listen to those feelings because they are valid feelings. I don't want to I don't want to invalidate feelings. I want to listen to those feelings. But I want to I want to be in a good position to make a good decision regarding this deck. What do I do with a deck that's not too powerful, but it's also very popular? Maybe it's fun for a lot of players, 
but since it's very popular, it, it creates frustration. High play rate, which means significant volume of grievances. What do I do? I ask myself the following question. And the question is, will nerfing this deck and toning down its power and its play rate, will it cause a diversification of the format? Is this deck preventing anything from seeing play? Is this deck keeping other things down? Is this deck limiting to strategies that I'd like to see more of? If the answer is yes, if you think that nerfing this deck will diversify the format, you can make a nerf to adjust for that. It is very hasty to make a nerf in the first balance patch for that, but you can if you are absolutely certain that it will diversify the format. However, if you nerf this deck and the result is not diversification of the format, maybe the format stays the same. Maybe the format becomes less diverse. Then you have made an error. Why did you make an error? Because even though you have quelled complaints about this deck, if you have caused the opposite effect of diversification, then what happens is you are increasing the play the play rate of other decks that already exist in the format. They just become more prevalent and more powerful and they will generate more grievances and the volume of grievances that the new format will generate after the patch will be greater than the volume of grievances from before. So what did you accomplish? You accomplished nothing. You did worse. But more than that, Hat, there is a price to balance changes. Because you did not just generate more grievances in a volume. You also caused grievances to the people who enjoyed playing that deck. Let's say that deck has a bunch of legendaries. You nerfed a common. They don't get their dust back. They are now playing a watered-down and less powerful version of the deck that they enjoyed playing. They, you are causing grievances to them. So for you to make a balance patch based on feels, you need to be sure that you are making the meta better. And by making the meta better, I mean making the meta more diverse, which results in a significantly lower volume of grievances. And what happened last week and why I was upset is because Team 5 forgot what the goal of the first balance patch is. They saw no massive power outliers. They saw no massive play pattern outliers. And yet they nerfed the card because they complied with specific complaints about the deck. They complied with some discussion about a deck's grievance rate and they nerfed it to shut people up. They nerfed it to stop those specific complaints rather than looking at the bigger picture, which is diversification of the format. If the nerf to Shaman was going to result in diversification of the format, I would have supported it. But I saw that it wasn't going to happen. This is why I was against it. And I, I couldn't formulate my thoughts and feelings about this matter until I, I came up with this concept this week. But this is why last week's balance patch was an error. Because in order to make balance changes based on feels, you need to ensure that there is a diversification of the format. And that's the most important thing. And you don't need 
to bow down to every content creator out there who says that this deck feels bad to play and this deck feels bad to play and this deck feels bad to play and and all these different feedbacks from different players with different tastes and different views on design all telling you that some decks need to be nerfed because they feel bad you don't make nerfs to satisfy them you make nerfs to diversify the format because you know that a format that is diverse is a format that will have a lower volume of complaints. This is how you satisfy these people. You make sure that they don't constantly encounter into the same decks. So now you understand what should be the balance philosophy for a game like this. You don't nerf things, you don't delete classes and remove them from the game because people bitched about them. You do that if you think that they will make the meta, that nerfing them will make the meta more diverse. And that is my explanation on why last week's balance patch was a failure and why we can do better and we can put ourselves in a position where we're more likely to succeed. If you launch an expansion and there are no major outliers, both in power and in play pattern, and there are some decks that people complain about, naturally, there will be decks, some decks that are popular, maybe they're not too powerful, but they will be complained about, you wait. If you don't think that nerfing that deck will increase diversity, wait for the second balance patch. Give it some time. Give the meta to settle down. Maybe other decks were not refined enough. Maybe they will grow in power and keep this deck down. Maybe some other occurrences will happen. New discoveries will happen. They can always happen two weeks after an expansion. They've happened before. They happened this expansion. So accumulate more data, collect more data, see how the meta dynamics shape up, understand better what is this deck's matchup spread, what is, does this deck keep down, and when you come to the second balance patch, you are equipped with far more information to make a good decision. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but yeah, that's what I had to say. What do you think, Hat? I think you spent all week thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. We're uh, we're going to talk to some Team 5 devs next week. See see how they feel. We'll probably ask them pretty directly about what they thought about this past week's balance patch, about where they think they landed. I would be surprised if they landed in a spot of like, yeah, everything went the way that we wanted it to. I'm curious to hear their thoughts on it. Um, but it's pretty clear that adjustments based on a, a broader format with more diversity is definitely what they were aiming for didn't get there, and definitely a good idea as a goal to aim for in terms of just diversified play rate. I'm not sure if... I think that's likely what they were aiming for. It just didn't work out. I don't think it's a question of them missing the concept. It's a question of missing on the execution. But we'll see what they say. I, I do think they, they, they caved a little there. Um, and I think they, they should have more faith in themselves. I think their launch of the expansion was very successful. Overall, uh, you had good diversity among six classes. Uh, you just needed to push the other ones up. If you ended up last week buffing those other classes and it didn't work out, I don't think anyone would have blamed you for that. Uh, you just would have tried again uh, the next patch. Uh, but I, I think that in terms of balance at the top, it was a slam dunk. 
And all it needed in order to diversify the format was just buffing the other the underperforming classes, and that was that should have been the goal. But but yeah, we'll see what happens next week. Good luck to Evil Day for summarizing this. It's a shorter episode. I'm sure he'll be fine. Yeah, but but basically, this is kind of the message that I want to send, and I hope it is heard, not just by Team Five, but by other community members. Uh, in Hearthstone, because we all love the game and we want to make it better. I just feel that when you make fields-based changes, and as a result, and they've done that before, you delete classes and you limit diversity and limit options. I think that that kind of fields-based change is contradictory to what your goal is when you make a fields-based change. Um, yeah, because I just explained how fields are determined by pretty objective metrics. Um, that I think anyone can agree on, but uh, but yeah, hopefully uh, things will be better. Uh, for now, the format will be a little bit narrow and rough, but I hope you enjoy it. I hope the people who um, really really hated Snowfall Guardian are having a better time. I hope some people are having a better time. If they are, I'm happy for them. The general sentiment that I'm getting from a lot of content creators is that things got worse, unfortunately. Uh, and, and yeah, the goal is when you make a balance patch and you nerf people's decks that they have fun and they're invested in playing, you need to make things better. You can't stay neutral and you definitely de- can't go back and making things worse. So hopefully hopefully we learn from this. Team 5 obviously have a difficult job. I already, like la- like in the first balance, uh, in the first report, I identified that this was going to be tough. This was going to be a tough balance patch to hit right because the meta was very delicate. Um, so I can't really blame them for for a, such an error or something like that. But uh, but yeah, hopefully we'll learn from this. Yep, and we'll see what we uh, what we have to discuss next week after another report, and what we have discussed with the members of Team Five. But for now, I think that's going to wrap it up here. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Extra special thanks to our VS Gold, VS Silver Patreon supporters, everyone who subbed and supported this week. You're great. Uh, you can look forward to the next report next Thursday, September first. Next podcast should be next Saturday, September 3rd. Thank you so much, Evil Dave, for the podcast transcriptions. Good luck. Uh, And thank you so much to Steven Sensei for the intro and outro, as always. We'll talk to you all soon. The Data Reaper podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.